Well, church, I'm so excited as we continue on in our series, What is My Style? Or Finding My Style. Let's see if I can... Hopefully this is going to work. You guys get to see all my notes today. There we go. Maybe. Let's try this again here. So, um, as we're getting started... Uh, we've been over uh, going over what what is my style, uh, and what is my style in particular of disciple making. It is just going to fight me all day today, isn't it? Here, um, hmm, interesting. It is a Mac. Is that my problem? All right, that's my problem. I knew it. I repent. <laughs> It is not behaving today. Okay, here. Let's try this. Um, let me start uh, with, with this. How many of you have ever been invited invited uh, to something that ended up changing your life? Have you ever been or received an invitation where somebody said, come along with me, and it changed your life? Anybody? Yeah, some, some of us, maybe they invited us to church some of us got invited to a really cool concert that changed our life. Anybody? No? Um, some of us got invited on a date, hopefully, that may have changed our lives. I know there might be some people that, <laughs> my wife is raising her hand. Yes. So um, I want to be talking about the, the style of invitation or living a life of invitation. Living a life of invitation. And uh, I want to tell you, there was a time in my life, I think I've shared with you several times, that I wasn't living for the Lord. When I was in high school, I was a bit of a knucklehead. I had long black hair, and I wore school t-shirts, and I wore spikes because I thought that was cool. And uh, I didn't really know who God had made me. And so um, as, as, as I grew up, my mom had this deep desire to see me meet Jesus. And so she would drag me to church. I think I shared with you that when she brought me to church, I would curse at her. I would make her miserable the whole car ride there. I know none of you do that to your moms, right? And as one of her big desires led her to inviting the whole youth group over to our house for a Super Bowl party. And I was irritated by that. I was like, are you kidding me? But her whole goal, her whole purpose was to get the youth group around me. And so she thought if she couldn't get me to youth group, she was going to get the youth group around me. So you know what I did? I locked myself in the basement and I made sure that none of them could come talk to me while they were, while they were at our house. But I'll never forget that I got this little knock on my door in the basement and it was this gal named Katie. And Katie came over and she, she said, hey, I just noticed that you're interested in guitar. You want to play me a, a guitar, a, a song? And at that time, I was really terrible. And so I played an awful punk rock song, you know, and she was probably like, this is scary, <laughs> you know. And uh, she just, she grabbed a piece of paper and she wrote a little note to me and she left it on my desk. And I was so relieved when the youth group left. But then I went back to my room and I, I found this note from Katie. Her name was Katie Cooper at the time. And it said, Shane, I thank you so much for playing guitar with, for me. She said it sounded really good. I would really love to see you at youth group. And you know what? When a girl invites you to go to church or go to youth group, you go, hmm. And so I did. And you know what? That's where I met a youth pastor that, that began to show me or change my perspective. And that's how I got involved in, 
in what God was going to do eventually changed my life to a life lived in serving and in, 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 in uh, pursuit of Christ. See, Katie was brave enough to walk into kind of a scary looking dude's room and, and write me a note to invite me. And uh, I don't recommend gals you doing that, but I do recommend that, uh, that we live a life of invitation. And we can learn a lot from this Samaritan woman who uh, lives a life of invitation. Now, let's go through just a quick review. So we, we are in this series about making disciples. We looked at the Great Commission. Everybody say, great. great. It's the Great Commission. It's the commission that Jesus gives us before he ascends into heaven. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I commanded you. This is both a command for us to do, but it's also a commission, meaning that Jesus gives you everything you need to make disciples. Everything you need. He makes it, he gives you the ability as a believer, you have the ability to make disciples. You have everything you need right now. So we've been looking at different types of styles, personality styles that God gifts us in the early days of the church. And so we looked at Peter. He was confrontational, right? We looked at Paul. He was an intellectual. He studied fervently for the gospel, and he studied his culture, and he read the room in such a way that he was able to share the gospel in a way that made sense to the people at the time. And then we learned about the blind man's testimonial style, the blind man's testimonial style. So we asked, what is our God story? Everybody has a God story. And then we looked at Matthew's interpersonal style. And some of you are really good at friendship, at friendship. And so we talked about how uh, being a good friend can be a, a way to invite into discipleship relationships, being a good friend. And we've talked about, obviously, there isn't like, you're not just a confrontational or you don't have to just be an intellectual, but you can be a mix of all of these different types of personalities and strengths because God has uniquely made you to be impactful for the kingdom and to make disciples. So if you're here and you're drawing breath, everybody, you're capable of making disciples. Um, so let's talk about the Samaritan. We're going to read John 4. We're going to read John 4. And so I'm going to try something new here. We're in John 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 42. And so here, follow along with me if you would. John 4, 1 through 42. If you got a physical Bible, please uh, use that. But it, we also have it up on the screen for you. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. Okay, Samaria had a context to it, right? And so when you hear Samaria in scripture, there was kind of like, man, he's going to that neighborhood, Okay, so verse 5, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Hey, Jacob's well is still there today. Did you know that? I'm going to show you a picture of it here in a minute. I got to go and take sneaky pictures because you're not supposed to technically take pictures of Jacob's well, but we got, I can show you a picture. It exists today. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
a woman from Samaria, everybody say, bum, 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 came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She was astonished that Jesus was talking to her. See, we need to ask the question, why is Samaria, why is, it, why is there this bad context to being a Samarian? Yeah, so for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Sorry, Samaritans. Jesus, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Everybody say, amen. amen. The water that I will give him will become, an, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Here's where it gets tricky. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Thanks for affirming, Jesus, what I already knew about myself, right? Um, verse 18, for you have had five husbands. Now it's like, she's like, can you imagine just the shock? It's like, how do you know this? And one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You will worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at, at that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to come to the people. I want you to see here, she leaves in a haste. Like this is her source of water. This is, this is what could sustain her. And she totally forgot it. She got so excited. She just bolts and went away into town and said to the people, come, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out to the town, went out of the town, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, so I'm going to skip ahead to, to verse 39 here. So follow along with me, verse 39, 38, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of this word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just pray. God, we pray that we would be people who live a life of invitation. Would you help us to be people who live a life of invitation, Lord? We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. So uh, let's, let's go here to come and see. Verse 28, uh, you see the woman at the well. And uh, let's talk briefly about what is a Samaritan. So she's a Samaritan woman. Uh, you guys noticing a theme here that God uses the everyday average person. And the thing about everyday average people is what? We're quirky. Human beings are quirky. If you spend any length of time around human beings, you know we are quirky. And so we all have context. We have history. We have baggage that we bring with us. God uses the lowly person oftentimes to teach things and principles about himself. And so here we have a Samaritan woman. Samaritans and Jews did not have a very good relationship because previous to this passage, there was some pretty big persecutions that happened between the two. In fact, Jews were a part of the, the conquering of, of Shechem. And so um, several, many years before this, Samaritans would have had really bad blood with Jews because they chased them out of like their hometown. And there were some people who were killed in that as well. And not only that, but the, the Jews and the Samaritans both share some of their same heritage. And so the, the Samaritans come on the scene and they say, we can only worship at Mount Gerizim. And the Jews are like, we disagree. We don't have any kind of infighting like that today, right? That never happens. But you have these two big opinions about where to worship. And so they, they fight, they butt heads. And, and then there's some who say that, that uh, Samaritans are like, they're like half-breeds in, the, in that they are not fully Jewish. They, they went and they, uh, they mingled with some of the local peoples. And so you have all of this kind of infighting and Samaritans are looked very poorly at by the Jews. And so then Jesus, who does he approach? The Samaritan woman, in the midst of all this fighting, in the midst of all this conflict, in the midst of all this debate, who does he go to? The enemy. Oh, man. Does that make you uncomfortable to start? He goes to somebody who the, his disciples would have viewed as an enemy, as somebody, man, we don't talk to those people. That's who Jesus goes to. Um, I want to give you a picture here uh, really briefly. So this is Mount Gerizim today. Um, let me, I can pull this. Oh, oh, there we go. So this is Mount Gerizim today. And uh, there's actually the high priestess, or high, high priest of, uh, of the Samaritans. There's only about 800 of them left in the world. And let me tell you, this guy is a total kook. Man, he's a total kook. He, he's got two cell phones because he feels like he's so important. He's just a weird guy, but man, we enjoyed him. He came, he wanted to, if you see here, this is uh, that was a really bad job of circling him, but see, he's, he wanted to come. He didn't want to sit in front of us. He wanted to come sit behind us while he presented and told us about Samaritans. They traced their lineage back to the early tribes of Israel. And so he believes that the Messiah has not yet come and that the Messiah will come through his lineage. So he's like, every one of his kids, he's like, hey, maybe, 
Maybe I just gave birth, you know, to the Messiah. So, so very interesting. They still exist today. Isn't that cool that, that the Bible isn't just a story? Isn't it cool that it's reality? Also, let me take you, uh, so if you see here, here's my gorgeous wife standing next to the well of Jacob where this occurred. Um, and so, uh, and I got in trouble for having a camera, so I got chased out of the room. But um, there's a picture of that. So this happened. It's a real place. It's important aspect of our faith here. Um, Let's talk about the Samaritan woman then, her reaction, her reaction. The first thing that the Samaritan woman does is she forgets herself. And she, so he says, here's what you've done. He knows that she had five other husbands and the one she currently have isn't her husband. And so what does she do? She just bolts from the conversation. I mean, can you imagine just like she just, she gets so overwhelmed or excited by what's happening here that she, she just bolts from the conversation and she runs into town and she says, come, come and see, come and see. There's this sense that she is awestruck by what she just saw in Jesus. She is marveling at Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller calls this the freedom of self-forgetfulness. The Christians would be so overwhelmed by, sorry, the, the Christians would be so overwhelmed that they would forget themselves. And that they would be so uh, excited about Christ that it kind of becomes this place where we don't think about ourselves as much. How many of you tend to be selfish thinkers? Everybody should raise your hand right now, right? See, there's this principle in Christ that, that when we begin to marvel and see Jesus for who he really is and what he's done and what he's accomplished, we begin to stop thinking about ourselves so much and we begin to start thinking about him. There's a hymn about this, that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, it, when Jesus is present, when we begin to understand who he truly is, we become overwhelmed and we begin to marvel and we forget ourselves and this is how Christians are to be sharing the gospel. It's not a sense where we're trying to debate somebody. It's not a sense where we're trying to convince somebody that God exists. It's just that we're so pumped about Jesus that we can't help but talk about him. You talk about what you love and what you're excited about, don't you? Some of, some of you guys that are big on hunting right now, you have no problem talking about your gear, do you? Right? Um, we talk about what we love or what we're interested in, and we have no problem doing that, do we? And so what, what we want to start here with is the come and see, the come and see part that we want to be aware of. And I'm sorry about the slides today, guys. We'll get this figured out soon. But come and see is that there's a sense that she marveled at who Jesus was. We need to marvel again at who Jesus is. Would you agree? I don't feel like, you ever, you ever heard that uh, familiarity breeds contempt? where it's like we grow up with Jesus, and so it's like, yeah, Jesus is pretty cool, but, you know, I got other things going on. You see what I'm saying? I, there's this sense that we need to fall in love again with who Jesus truly is. We've forgotten. We've taken it for granted. Church, have we done that? Yeah. Some of us grow up in the church, and we're like, yeah, I've heard the gospel. Now I want to get into deeper things. You ever had somebody tell you that? I've had people who are like, oh man, it's great. I've heard this whole Jesus dying on the cross thing and, and then he made us right with God, but I want to go into the deeper things. And I'm like, ha, deeper things? Did you hear what you just said? The gospel, we were made right with Jesus. 
I think about this. When we think about the Jesus of the Bible, we're talking about the man, the, the fully man, fully God, the guy who conquered death. Anybody in here can say that they conquered death? No? Okay, let's keep going. He gifted us with righteousness. Can anybody in here make anybody else right with God? No. That's amazing. What else about our Christ? He existed before all creation. He came to the world fully God, yet fully man. Does anybody understand what that even means? Fully God, fully man? How do you be fully two things? It's amazing. The angels, it says in Peter, are astounded by Jesus. History is measured by him. No human has been affected. No human on this earth hasn't has been unaffected by what he did in history. He drank the wrath of God on behalf of us and turned the glass over and said, it is finished. What? That's crazy. How could we not marvel at this man? What else did he do? He began a movement that 2,000 years later is going strong, healed the sick and restored the sinner, defeated darkness and evil in one fell swoop, defeats the enemy and his host in a single word in what he did on the cross, yet leads us to salvation by his kindness. This is Jesus. I'm going to borrow a phrase. That's my king. That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus of history. That's the Jesus uh, who exists in reality. Brothers and sisters, I think we could stand to marvel at Jesus like the Samaritan woman marveled. At Jesus. In fact, the early church, they were so obsessed with Jesus that they began getting called Christian. Did you know that's the, the, root, the root of where we get our name, Christian? It means little Christ. Do you guys know that probably in the beginning in Antioch is where they were first called that? It was kind of an insult, like a bad name. You'd be such a little Christ. Sweet! And the early Christians were like, yes, keep the insults coming because I want to look like him. I want to be known as a little Christ. How many of you were like, yes, I want to be insulted for Christ like that. But that's, they were so obsessed with Jesus. They wanted to talk about him. They wanted to know more about him. They wanted to study him so much that they started getting called a name. Little Christ. We want to live a life of invitation because we marvel at Jesus. Um, I, want to talk, I want to call it the, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Again, on the slides, but I wanted to call it the six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon. You guys know that, uh, that kind of uh, where you can connect anything to Kevin Bacon? Uh, I just wanted to, I want to go here and I just want to cross this out right here and kind of maybe no more Kevin Bacon. Let's just connect. What, what uh, how can we connect to Jesus? When you think about anything in society today, anything in reality connects to the centerpiece of all of human history, and that's Jesus Christ. What if we were so obsessed with Jesus that instead of six degrees of Kevin Bacon, it was six degrees of Jesus? I had a girlfriend in high school that dumped me, and uh, she dumped me after I was on a mission trip, and all I could do was talk about Jesus. And I remember she, she pulled me aside and she said, Shane, are you ever going to stop talking about Jesus? And I was like, no! She's like, cool, peace. And I was like, great! Because so I found a woman who was really excited to talk about Jesus but man, what if we were so excited about what Christ did that we forgot ourselves and we began to share and talk about what we love, who was Jesus? The world thinks the church, I, I'm convinced of this, gang. I, the world thinks the church is just bored with Jesus. 
I, I think they look at us and they think, why are you guys don't even seem interested in the Lord that you're worshiping? You know what I'm saying? My early experience with the church was uh, I, growing up, I, I sang hymns. I went to church every, because my mom dragged me even as a little kid and everybody was monotone and everybody was so straight faced and everybody was so stiff. As a kid, I thought, why are they even singing? They don't look happy to be here at all. As I processed that as a kid, I just thought, man, like it really doesn't seem like they're here about anything exciting at all. What if, man, the, the world looked at us and be like, you guys are crazy about this Jesus guy. I guess I should take a look. What if we sang in such a way that where we forget ourselves? I love my kids, right? You ever watch kids when they're singing and it's like totally off pitch, but they don't care because they've totally forgot themselves. They're totally into the music. What if we were like that in church? <laughs> you know, what if it was like, Jesus loves me, this I know. And we were like, what in the world? You know, but it's like no shame. She forgot herself. She runs in. Did, did you guys notice that she's not even ashamed of what he knew about her? He was so excited. She was so excited about Jesus. She totally forgot that what she was sharing was going to reflect badly on her. Did you notice that? But she forgot herself in the midst of who Jesus was. Church, let's do that. My early youth ministry, um, we used to have this thing called the Fill the Van Initiative. And the big idea of the Fill the Van Initiative was we're all on a road trip to Jesus. We're going there as, as focused as we can. But man, we're willing to make stops, throw open the door and say, come along with us. That's discipleship. That's a life of invitation where we forget ourselves. We throw open the door. And we start to see people come with us. That is discipleship. So she says, come to somebody who does know, right? So Jesus obviously displays that he knows a lot of things that she doesn't. A lot of things that she doesn't. And so one of the things that we get to do when we live a life of invitation, notice she didn't say, come to me, I have all the information. But she said, come with me to see Jesus, okay? We don't have to have all the information, in fact, I, as a pastor, I'm still working on the information thing, and I think it's going to be an endless pursuit for me. But we do get to be people who say, come with me. Let's go towards Jesus. We need to be focused on bringing people to Christ when we invite. She brought people to him as the source of knowledge instead of presenting herself as a source of knowledge. That's different for us, isn't it? I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that the reason the church is in decline is because we have presented ourselves with people as people who have really good information. Come to me. I've got the information that you need. And then we make ourselves important instead of saying, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know that Jesus does. I'm going to him. It's, is it a little scary to hear your pastor say he has no idea what he's doing? If every pastor was actually honest, they would probably tell you that. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know the one who does. So we need to be people who invite to church, to salvation, and to discipleship, right? It's okay to invite to church, but I also, brothers and sisters, it's as easy as giving somebody a Bible and say, hey, don't take my word for it. I want to bring you to Jesus. Jesus, yeah, he's at church, but he's also in the word of God right here. Let me give you a Bible. Let me show you where to read that Bible. Let me show you where you can encounter who Jesus is. And I always give people, when I give them a Bible, I give them the, uh, the Bible. I say, I open to the book of John. And I say, I want you to read this book and I want you to ask one question. Who is this guy, Jesus? You can do that today. Go give somebody a Bible. And you know what you did? You just said, come and see. 
when you give somebody a Bible and say, look at John, look in the book of John, he's there. You see him? Come and see. Scripture. So scripture is the best and most accurate way to invite people to Jesus. As believers, um, if we, in our life groups, I've seen you do this in some of our Bible studies, if we were just people who read out loud scripture together, uh, maybe some of you have wondered, why does Shane read so much scripture on Sundays? It's because I want to point you to Jesus. I don't want to point you to me. You don't need me. You need more Jesus. You need his words. You don't need more me. So we want to be pointing to Scripture, reading Scripture out loud. Um, And we need to be people who say, don't take my word for it, but instead, I want to take you to the one who does know. We don't have to argue. Just dare people. I'm in the, I I love this. One of my favorite things is I just dare you to pray the prayer, Jesus, show yourself to me. And then I dare you to actually look. You ever dare somebody to become a Christian? What if instead of, you know, it's like, that's part of the invitation. It's just like, yeah, man, hey, don't take my word for it. I dare you. Are you brave enough? <laughs> People are like, brave enough? What are you talking about? Don't take my, my word for it. We don't do the saving. Isn't that, man, praise the Lord. All we do is point to Jesus. We don't have to try to save somebody. You and I can't save anybody. If it was up to me being smart enough or arguing people into the kingdom of heaven, no one would get saved. Everybody say, amen, pastor. But that's the power of the gospel. We have that Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the power of salvation? The gospel. Everybody say gospel. Gospel means the good news. The good news. It's another way to say it. I wanted to show you this. I'm really into giving you guys tools. And so there's this really cool tool. It's called the Life in Six Words app. And it gives you this, really, you can get it on your phone, you can get it on Android, download this called the Life in Six Words app. And I use this all the time. But all you do, take somebody and you're like, I have no idea how to invite somebody to Jesus or share the gospel with them. You can say, hey, I'm going to pull out this app. Do you mind answering a question? And the question is, pick six words that describe your life. And so somebody can go through here and they can pick, well, relationships describe my life, uh, family describes my life, routine, um, I'm pretty broken, um, I, I have some pain, and I love adventure, okay? I did that super randomly. So then you just go here to God's Word, and then this gives you the gospel. This is like bare bones basics gospel. It says, number one, God created us to be with Him. This is the gospel. Are you ready? And I, I invite you, learn the gospel in a way you can remember it. Okay, learn the gospel in a way you can remember it. So God created us to be with him. Everybody say that with me. God created us to be with him. You get this really cool little uh, Bible on the lower left hand, uh, and it tells you where we get that in Scripture. Know, the, the Lord is, uh, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. Okay, so you move on. Our sins separate us from God. Our sins separate us from God. I'm going to blaze through here. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. This is what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. We cannot remove our sins because of how good we are. Jesus had to do that. So paying, paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. And here's the best part. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. Okay, that's the gospel, amen? And so, if you, again, if you're like me, you need a really easy way to remember it in simple terms. You see how it's spelled out a gospel? Um, so look this up, life in six words. So God, our sins, paying everyone life. 
and in such a way that if you were having a conversation, you could be thinking about, okay, where am I at? Have we talked about how God is creator? He created me to be with him. So we're going to talk a lot about, I'm going to use this more than not. I'm going to try to get us to remember this as a church so that when you get into a conversation, not so that you could stand up and somebody say, so tell me about this Jesus guy. And so you just turn around and say, God, our sin's paying everyone life. Don't do that. Okay. This is a tool for you to learn what are the important aspects of the gospel so that you can share them. Okay. That's where tracks sometimes can replace conversation. We don't want to be people who replace uh, conversation and relationship with tracks, but we also want to know where are we going in the conversation when it comes to inviting people to Jesus, because we want to do that on purpose. Okay, so we want to invite to someone who knows, and then you notice she invites them back with her, with me, verse 30. Uh, So what if we became a people who pursue Jesus, but we refuse to do it alone? Did you hear that? What if we became a people who pursued Jesus, but refused to do that alone? Don't do things alone. Did you know you know Jesus better? You know God better together? Because all of us get different aspects of an infinite God. He reveals aspects of himself to each one of us in different ways and in unique settings and different situations. And so if we all live isolated, this is why um, things like why they say come to church. You know, it's not just because we want a bunch of people here. It's because we want you here so that we can know God better through you and so that you can know God better through us. That's why God encourages us to meet together. We know God better together. What if you made it your mission to never come to church without someone? Oh, can you imagine? What would that be like? She said she invited everybody to come back with her. No shame. She forgot herself and invited everybody to come back and see this Jesus who knew everything she did. John 4.35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. So Jesus is talking to his disciples, verse 35. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Church, what if I were to tell you, look up, look up. The harvest is plentiful. That's Jesus's promise. If we become people who invite others Look out what happens when we live a life of invitation. Here's a few statistics that I want to leave you with. Research shows that more than 80% of unbelievers are at least somewhat likely to accept an invitation to church. That's a pretty high percentage. 80% of unbelievers are at least somewhat likely to accept an invitation to church, but only 21% of them have received an invitation to church from a Christian. Interesting. In addition, 11% of lost people are highly receptive to the gospel, meaning they would turn to Christ now if someone would tell them. Another 27% are receptive to the gospel, meaning that they would trust Christ soon if someone would patiently explain the gospel, pray for them, answer questions, and befriend them in this journey. Come with me as we go towards Christ. This means that about 60 million lost people I'm going to say that again. 60 million lost people will accept Christ or are close to, Christ, close to accepting Christ, but only 2% of them have had a Christian tell them the gospel. 2% of them. About 36% of lost people are neutral towards the gospel and 21% are resistant. But Christian witness can influence them to open themselves to it. Only about 5% 
only 5% are highly resistant, are highly resistant to the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm broke up about that 60 million. I'm broke up about that 60 million. All they need is somebody to quietly sit down with them and share the truth of the gospel. But you know what, church? Again, I think we're bored with the truth because we would share it so much more fervently if we believed it to be true and we were marveling at what Jesus did. Agreed? Let's teach our hearts to marvel at Christ again. Let's teach our hearts to get excited about who Jesus is. So what? Hey, would you marvel at Jesus? Do whatever you got to do to rekindle that relationship with Jesus that maybe you once had. Anybody remember you're like an older Christian, you remember when you first came to Christ and you had that first love where you were pumped about Jesus? Anybody remember that? Be like, man, that's so far ago. Like any good relationship, any, any thriving marriage will tell you this. You got to like do new and exciting things together to rekindle that relationship, don't you? You got to go out on dates. Guys, are you taking notes? You got you to gotta refresh the relationship. And so let's refresh our relationship with Jesus in such a way that we are astonished by him. Live a life of invitation, taking people with you. And guys, never come alone. Never come to church alone. What if we set that as a goal? What if we set that as a goal as a church? Can you imagine what God would do here? Man, because the gospel is worth it. It should be carried on the back of friendship. We, it should be carried on the, on the backs of invitation. It should be carried on the backs of us just forgetting ourselves because of who Christ is. And so with that, I want to call, uh, we, we're going to have a time of communion. And so I'll call our elders up to go ahead and have this time of communion um, but I want to pray for us as, as the elders come up. I want to pray that God would rekindle in us a passion, church, a passion for who Jesus is, that we would forget ourselves in the light of his grace and mercy for us. So Lord Jesus, I pray that right now for us as a church. God, we're a mess, but I pray that the mess would just get completely overrided by who you are truly to us. God, we want to be people who get excited about the truths of who you are and what you've done. If the angels are in awe of you, how is it that we're not? It's because we're not looking. It's Lord, we just confess that to you now. We're not looking. We stopped looking a long time ago. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to, to look and behold you in such a way that we would live a life of invitation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.